the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host nick nanavani Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. We are joined once again by one of my good Warhammer friends here, John Lennon. John, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I am wonderful. Good to be back on the show. Yes, John, you are also a member of Team Art of War, and maybe the most savage one, as I've just learned, because you soloed the entire team, getting four for 14 kills at your latest event, Crucible, which you took for the, the second time in a row? Second in a row, yes. Very nice. And uh, playing Tyranids both years, right? Absolutely. I got to wrap my favorite army. This is absolutely your favorite army. You're like a Tyranid guy. You're like the dude who does the Tyranids. That's like your faction. But you play all kinds of factions. How is it managing all these different play styles? Uh, for me, it's uh, I, I have a lot of factions for work. I have a lot of armies that I like or I like the models. Tyranids is always number one. Tyranids was the first army that I, uh, that I played as the first army I bought. I've been a Tyranid player for more than half my life at this point. So... Honestly, the hard part is playing the other armies. It's never hard playing Tyranids. <laughs> That's I, awesome. Tyranids fit, you know, like a, a well, you know, like your most comfortable pair of shoes that never wear out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your favorite, your favorite pair of clothes, your favorite army. I gotcha. So today's episode is going to be all about that. We're going to get to know John. We've already had him on the show before, so we already know him. But we're going to talk about that with the new context of 10th edition Tyranid that just came out, what they're like on the scene. And they're boasting a 39% win rate at the London GT, which is super unimpressive. But John has obviously shown that they are fully capable of other great feats. So we're going to break all that down for you uh, in this episode for part one. And then in part two, which is available for our subscribers on AOW40K.com, that is our Patreon. It's five bucks a month, and you get access to all the part twos of all 205 episodes that we've done and our amazing Discord server. But that is where we will talk about John and this army in detail. And we're going to talk about how he did something that I have never seen happen before. And I didn't even know it was like a thing that could happen. He went through six Team USA players, the entire Art of War stream house, Quinn, myself, Richard, then Jack, in order to claim dominance on this final podium. So that's obviously super impressive. And we're going to figure out exactly how he did it. John, how you doing? I, I'm great. I mean, obviously, I'm uh, riding a high from the weekend, uh, still recovering from the weekend, if I'm being uh, transparent. You know, sometimes you go to a convention and inexplicably have a cough for three days. The uh, conventions really wear you out. Conventions get you. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, I swear this didn't happen to me when I was younger. Yeah, no. Do you, you feel the mid-20s as they, <clears throat> as they close out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So talk to me about 10th edition. Last time we had you on, it was 9th, and 9th was a whole different ballpark. 10th edition has happened. It's been up and down, roller coaster Sunday, but you actually had the ability to play in the World Team Championships recently. So you've had more Warhammer than pretty much anyone else in your life and all kinds of different experiences with it. What is your take on the whole thing? Yeah, so going through the the 10th edition journey has been uh, quite a roller coaster. I actually kind of avoided singles tournaments for the early uh, aspect of uh, 10th edition. Crucible this last weekend was my first individual tournament of uh, 10th edition. I'd previously only gone to team events because I I felt like the meta was a little bit rocky to start, and that's to be expected. This exact same thing happened in 8th edition, where the early individual tournaments were a little bit crazy, but then team tournaments have a way of balancing out an unbalanced meta by putting a restriction on how many players can take a faction, and then you're getting blasted by D cannons for the team. It's not just your opponent having a good time. 
So I've really enjoyed the foundations of 10th edition and the first data slate that we got in September, the first real one, felt like it did a lot. So now, now that we're past that, now that we're past September, I'm really actually quite happy with how 10th edition is going. But for me, I, uh, I kind of started with Custodes because I knew that Tyranids were the first codex of, uh, of 10th edition. It usually takes me a little bit of time to grasp an army. I usually don't pick it up in first rep. I'm happy with it. That, that's very rare for me. So once they announced that uh, you know I was playing uh, Custodes for WTC, I decided to play them for ATC as well. And then they announced that Tyranids were going to be the first codex of 10th edition. And at that point, I didn't really bother playing the Index that much. I only had a handful of games with the Index because I wasn't going to take it to any tournaments, and it was going to be the first codex. I just decided to save myself a book. Yeah, that's awesome. So you basically were able to kind of navigate, still get your 40K fix through team events, which, you know, as I've said so many times in this show, are my favorite way to play 40K. And then uh, now that the meta is a little bit more stable, healthy, you got your favorite army, nice new shoes, and uh, you're rocking and rolling your tournaments and killing everybody while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the new Tyranid Codex. Um, I love I love that it gives Tyranids multiple different playstyles that actually feel viable while being distinct. Um, and it feels like it's a lot more combo heavy than it is just a data sheet. So mm-hmm. there's no one data sheet that I think just makes it all work. Recently, you just went to Charity Hammer, where I know you played a bunch of different Tyranid games and you didn't actually win the Charity Hammer event. Um, but you took those lessons and applied them, obviously, to Crucible. And you tried a lot of different types of Tyranids. What have you found playing Tyranids and what do you feel like? Yeah, so um, I, I've tried out a couple of the different attachments. You know, Tyranids being the first army to really have all those attachments to access kind of made me feel like a kid in a candy store, right? I want to grab a little bit of everything. You know, I want to do the Vanguard, I want to do the Invasion Fleet, I want to do the Nexus. All of it's so interesting because it's all new, and new is always better. Everyone knows that. Uh, so where I kind of approached this from was play a bunch of games with and against Tyranids with different attachments to, so that I had a better understanding of what each attachment was. Even if it's one that on paper I thought I could dismiss, I still want to play against it once, see it on the table, watch it play once, so that I knew if I was right or wrong, and at least get a better understanding. And I found that the one problem that Tyranids have universally is always the damage output. Tyranids have perfectly fine number of units, they have plenty of tricks, they have the ability to score, they have good damage output, but they lack that next level of damage output. And so as I was starting to you know, go from discovery to tournament prep, that's what I was trying to fix, was make sure I had enough damage output or enough point scoring to be able to play against the more extreme armies in 10th edition, which are still popping up. You just mentioned something I really caught on to there, discovery mm-hmm. versus tournament prep, because obviously this is a short crunch line. You just got your new rules a few weeks ago, and you're going to tournaments almost immediately. How, what is that more specifically, those two periods for you, and then how do you make the distinction? So for me, the, the two periods are just basically discovery is until I feel like I'm ready for prep. I don't put a timeline on it, but uh, you know it's something that I'm about to go through with the new Space Marine Codex that uh, just went on pre-order. But it's where I feel like I've got the rules in my hands, but I'm not comfortable with it yet. There isn't one true path yet. Because at a certain point, a lot of armies in the history of 40k boil down to a one true path, where there is a best build, there is you know a way to do it, or at least you know a perceived way if you're trying to win a tournament. There's a perceived best path. Or at least a couple builds at most. At least a couple at yeah. most, yeah. But but with a new brand new Tyranid Codex, there was no one path. There were so many different directions to take it. And so for me, I just wanted to understand it. I love Tyranids. I don't want to find a list to win a tournament. I want to find a Tyranid list that feels right, that's fun to play, that I want to paint, that I want to take to multiple events in a row, that I always get to play the game. I never want to get just shut out on turn two. And so for me, that discovery path is about 
getting to where I'm comfortable playing the army and I understand how it works on the table. Because sometimes you, you look at what's on paper and you don't really get it until it's on the table. And for me, I benefit a lot from seeing it played out. I don't always just trust the math and the dice and then never actually bother moving the models on the table until round one. I never do well when I do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that was a big part of your, your growth. You mentioned last time as your player journey when you talked about like learning to really evaluate the movement part of the game and not just look at the dice element. And you get to clear that shows through here as their teammates. So do you think you've found that Tyranid army that really jives with your play style? It seems that way from the outside. I really like how my current Tyranid list, you know, which I'm using the Nexus attachment for, I like how it feels. I like how it plays. I think it suits what I do well. And it, it, it plays to my strengths, and I play to its strengths. What would you say are your strengths as a player? <clears throat> so I think my strength as a player is that I'm very good at movement, and I'm very good at... Uh, you know, kind of like looking at the big picture, the scoring. I'm really good at, uh, I think, making quick decisions. And I'm also, I, I consider myself good at adapting. Where I find that I fail the most, because I, you know, obviously I've been playing Warhammer for a while. I've had some success. It's almost easier to answer what I think I'm weak at. Mm-hmm. And what I think I'm weak at is the extremes. I think I'm weak at just rolling up my sleeves and accepting, yep, we're going to run into the middle and roll dice. I'm not very good at that. When people do it to me, I don't always play a perfect game. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for something that had a lot of options and basically let me play around it. You know, when I see a rock, I need to stop trying to bring a rock. Eventually, I'll lose a rock fight. So you're trying to play like paper. You know? Exactly. I'm trying to, you know, you know, be the river. Be the river of this water. Um, basically, my play style, I think, is looking and my strengths are looking for always looking for the right decisions. I think I'm very good at finding the correct decision if there is one. And I'm very good at keeping an eye on the scoreboard and movement. That's kind of what I'm, I was trying to build. Someone here. who plays against you at least once a week, I would definitely agree. You are. I can get ones past Siegs. I can get one past Jack every now and then. John doesn't really make those kind of mistakes. I try, and I really try not to make them twice. No, definitely not. It's always, every practice game is very dangerous against him, <laughs> <laughs> as I've learned. So... John, that leads me to think that the the Vanguard type of Tyranids would be the ones that are up your alley. I know we just played a stream game last week where you were able to beat my chaos with them. I know you tried them a couple times at Charity Hammer. They're the sneaky bugs, and I still don't really understand what they're planning to do. They just seem to score a thousand points and and stop you from winnings. But you're not playing them. You're playing Synaptic Nexus. What's that about? Yeah, so I really like a lot of aspects of the Vanguard. It's the one that appeals to me the most as a player, but I was trying to balance realism with what the meta is with what each detachment does that can be tough because i think the vanguard has the most tools and the most tricks while maybe having not a lot of power and as much as i'm trying to be the water around the rocks there's a point against another high skill player where they will find your windows and throw bricks through them mm-hmm. and uh, i i found that vanguard struggled a little bit too much with you know, there was just a couple of things that could go wrong, and then you didn't have it out. There wasn't a right decision to make anymore. Almost like if someone can follow your plan and keep up with what you're doing, then it, they can just apply better stats to you. Exactly. As long as, as long as someone can recognize what I'm trying to do, then I was worried that they would be able to just read my rules, ask me a couple questions, figure out what I was trying to do, and just put a stats book that I couldn't handle on it onto a primary objective, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a plan against that anymore. Which is a uh, Actually, what happened at Charity Hammer, I, I lost one game while I was there, and I lost a game to a uh, another Charity player, where he, uh, you know, lists were alive for a bit. He asked some of the other Charity players what my list did, and he deployed three Norn Emissaries on the line, 
or and uh, went first and put each one on a different primary objective. And you just couldn't kill them. And enough. I put my entire army into one. I did all of my tricks, made sure the other two couldn't hit me back. And I played 1,500 against 500 for three battle rounds, which is how long it took me to kill that north. Oh, my God. And admittedly, there were some four pinballs involved in that process. They're always but, uh, but they're, they're always all right, you know? Like what? I'm, I'm, I don't want to lose a tournament just because my opponent rolled a couple four pinballs. That happens all the time. No, you, you roll more dice at the problem. Yeah. You just have to add more dice. I <laughs> ran out of dice before he ran out of saves. Yeah, when you're out of dice, you have problems. <laughs> so... I get what you're saying. You need more raw damage output to kind of like scale the tricks back a bit, scale the damage up a little bit. And Snap yeah. just gave that to you? Exactly. I needed to keep tricks in because I felt that was very important. And so I, I built that into my list. But I, I needed enough damage to force them to play an honest game. Mm-hmm. I, I What I really didn't want to happen was to ever let a game, and this is my personal, like, the pet peeve of Warhammer for me, is when a game matchup gets beyond skill. When it's just the rock and the paper are so extreme that player skill no longer plays into the game. How often do you find that happens? Uh, you know, I I don't think it comes up that often. I think it happens to me maybe once every six to twelve months at most. It doesn't wow. come up often. You play a lot but, of Warhammer, but I play a lot of Warhammer, and I also am always building for this problem. But and I, it's the it's my least favorite way to lose a game. Yeah. I, I've gotten outplayed at Warhammer. So before. is this is this basically saying you getting stat checked? Is that basically yeah? If I get stat checked then or like hard countered by something i'd take that yeah because i feel like i didn't have a chance after pairings i'm the same exact way i feel yeah. like i need to not be stat checked off the table exactly i needed enough to pass a stat check and force it into a game of movement and that's where i'm most comfortable so just enough damage to force it to that point give me the best chance i could against a stat check army and then i get to play warhammer that's the deal so that's that's really interesting. You're bringing enough damage to force people to play movement, which not only is your strength, but Tyranids accentuate that because they are a very movement-based faction, which you can pull some tricky, tricky stuff off, which you do. So when you're evaluating that as you're and you're highlighting these weaknesses, and you're kind of that's that's kind of the methodology of noticing your noticing your weaknesses and solving backwards for them. How does that approach with the meta? Like you're going into a tournament, you know, a whole Order War squad is going to be there along with 85 other people. Mm-hmm. Um, unknown environment so what is that approach yeah so i mean quite frankly my approach is that as long as i think i can pass most stat checks i'm willing to trust myself to just try to play to win a game once i get there what i really needed to make sure of was that i had a list that could bare minimum pass the stat check against everyone in the house now i'm comfortable playing a game against any other members of art of war now going into this at crucible I knew that, you know, four other members of Art of War were going to be there. And obviously there's a lot of great players at the event, but, you know, it's a little bit different when you're playing to someone that, uh, you know, playing against a coworker and a friend. I knew that I had a very real chance of playing any one of you or every one of you. <laughs> <laughs> so I made sure that my list could get to the play a game stage with everyone at the house yeah, and not lose the stat check to anyone. And from there, I knew I wasn't going to, I know I'm not going to beat everyone in the house every time, but I know that I can beat anyone. Is that with was that respect to what factions we were playing? Because for some people that was like a little uncertain. Hundred percent, yes. Yeah, I uh, I was absolutely doing my homework and watching all of the prep. <laughs> um, I also just didn't play the army in the house. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, went and played it. You know, like eight eight or nine times at Charity Hammer, and uh, it's like, all right, I think I'm comfortable with this. Came home watched everyone else play and just tweaked my list while I watched. <laughs> Amazing. It's a trick that works did, once. Did you call everyone's faction correctly? Yes, I did. Were any list surprises in there? Uh, there were not. It helps that, and I, 
I also told everyone when I was playing, I, I wasn't pretending to play something else, mm-hmm. but I figured the rep difference was enough. The knowledge difference didn't have to be there. My CSM list was off the wall. You're telling me you <clears throat> called that thing? Uh, I knew it was going to be some kind of Nick weird Chaos Space Marine list. You got the archetype. I got the add the archetype. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It helps that you were asking me questions about the list and helps that Quentin was asking questions about his Eldar list. Right. Jack was messaging me questions about whirlwinds and black templars. It wasn't too hard to piece that together. Yeah, you clever goose. What about the rest of the field? Um, my policy with a large tournament is not to try to do homework on everyone because I find that leads me to sleep deprivation. Yeah. And generally, my policy going into a large uh, a large tournament, not a super major, is build for the best, outplay the rest. Where I just try to take a list that lets me play the game and hope that when I get to the table, I'll be able to make it work. And sometimes that, that falls through. Sometimes I, uh, I play against someone who I didn't plan on, who's able to outplay me, who pulls a good move. But you know what? If I lose a game because I got outplayed, that's something I can think about on the drive home and learn from. Which happened. That really happened all weekend for all four of us, except John. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So with your list, you're pretty happy with it. Any changes you're thinking about moving forward? Um, there are no changes that I think I would make to this list, but I should go ahead and add a, uh, add a caveat, which is that uh, about rules. Because um, there's been a raging discussion about how battle tactics work in 40k. Because, uh, you know, Games Workshop is really good at writing clear, simple rules that can only be interpreted one way. And it should be noted that for Crucible, they ruled that I can have the Hive Tyrant's Free Stratagem apply to any of the battle tactics in the Tyranid Codex, even if it also targets an enemy unit. And so as long as I'm playing with that ruling, I wouldn't change a point. I really was happy with this list. Uh, There's a lot of things I want to add. I want more gargoyles, but I keep looking at what I had. And there isn't a single thing I would cut. Every single piece of this list performed exactly the role I wanted it to every game. There was there were no disappointments in the list. I, I got a fine-tune to that point, which I was very happy with. I think it showed that you had more practice than any one of us, because Sieg's and I and Jack were all just playing into <clears> each other, and Quentin as well. So, and, and like you said, you just sat back and launched. You got your practice in charity hammer. And none of us really had a plan for you. I think all of us were in the, it's John, it's Tyranids, it'll be hard, but it'll be a game, we'll figure it out. And I think that lack of preparation was super relevant and apparent and uh in, in turn your preparation was also apparent so kudos to you on that but i think we've been beating around the bush for quite some time john why don't you top to bottom what is your list absolutely so this is the tyranid synaptic nexus detachment uh, this is the one that is themed around brain bugs and generally is better at dealing damage more reliably has a has a couple of tricks and has a little bit extra defense so for characters, I have uh, my beautiful Death Leaper, then a Hive Tyrant as my Warlord with Synaptic Control, and a Neuro Tyrant with Power of the Hive Mind. Then, two units of 10 Gargoyles are my battle line, and I go into my other units with a single Biovore. Three Exocrines and two Maliceptors make up my uh, my monsters. Three lone Neurolictors, beautiful boys that they are. Two one-man units of Pyrovores. And then nine zone tropes. I run it as a three-man and a six-man. So I've got kind of different options on the size of the unit I want to commit to a particular situation. Okay. I don't speak Tyranid. Um, What is the idea to this army? Why is it so awesome? Absolutely. The idea of this army is that it's five monsters that are relatively tough for points. They're not uber durable, but they sure as heck aren't soft. And they're definitely relatively durable for points. Four lone operatives. As much trash as I need to play the game, gargoyles to move, block, and screen, 
and the character support to give everyone the stratagems and buffs that they need. As well, that Hive Tyrant gives all those big monsters the ability to advance and shoot. So it's at its premise, it deals damage as a shooting army, but it is a shooting army that plays the standoffish game. It's not a deploy on the line table, you shooting army. It's a shooting army that is designed to play the mission very well, screen and uh, have lone operatives scattered around and have stuff in reserves and kind of attack you from all angles while there's a relatively speedy, not hard to kill, not, not hard, not easy to kill gun line hiding and waiting for you to commit. It's it's basically a, a beta strike. As a matter of fact, if any of you any of the listeners have been playing Tyranids for several editions, this is basically the evolution of the old trapdoor spider list from several editions ago. That was all about trash plays the game, the army waits to hit the person who comes out. It doesn't make the first strike. Interesting. Very counterintuitive plan. I think a lot of players when they get started with Tyranids just take a lot of the stats and just start sprinting across the table. And, you know, like either overwhelm with monsters or overwhelm with infantry, pick your poison. But, you know, overwhelm is the plan. And that's just not what you're doing. Absolutely not. I find that that playstyle doesn't always work for me. I'm better when I have time to decide when I'm going to pull the trigger. I don't like to commit to that being a turn one plan. Now, on occasion, if the time calls for it, I will do a turn one. But I don't like to be forced to. I don't like feeling like the turn one is when I have to go. I like taking my time calculating, picking the right time to strike waiting for the prey creatures to get close. Yeah, absolutely. And it works really well for you. You mentioned that as your play style last time. You basically like to wait it out, try to prolong the game a little bit, counter-strike and go for that kill turn around turn three. And it sounds like this is kind of what this list is trying to do as well. Um, when you took this list, did you have like a, a game plan that you kind of employed over and over again, or was it really game by game by game? Absolutely. So there's, there's kind of a default setting. Mm-hmm. And of course, every time I look at my opponent's army, I'll ask a lot of questions. I'll decide if I need to change it. But the default setting is that I keep, you know, four monsters in my backfield. I reserve one or two exocrines and then uh, at least one unit of zonthropes and a unit of gargoyles. And the, the kind of the default plan is that I use my lone ops to deploy about eight inches behind objective markers that they're not really threatened if I go second, but that they can easily normal move on to them once I need to. And it's to apply battle shock to kind of force the opponent to come out and to just have enough tricks on the scoreboard that people feel like they have to come to me at some point. And if not, I'll kind of like slowly creep up the board, safe spot to safe spot, not pushing too hard, cutting tight angles where I can. And one of my favorite tricks, honestly, is to just anchor an objective, put a relatively durable loan op on one objective, have a bunch of stuff in reserve and a bunch of guns pointed at that loan operative and just say, hey, if you don't come out, primary. If you do come out, this load up stuff than it looks. And if you come out with a lot, my entire army will drop on you. Yeah. No, that was really annoying. It was it's almost like fighting air in the beginning, fighting those neuroelectors. I hate those things so much. Broken little buggers. <laughs> but then they they hit you with the exocrines and the mouse scepters, which I learned about. They hit hard. Who knew? Yeah, no, it it, it adds up very quickly on uh, when it matters. I think the thing that we are just not talking about though is the battle shocks. <laughs> It's Philippines, John. <laughs> it doesn't even matter, really. So, um, so there's Tyranids are the first army to successfully weaponize Battleshock. Because Battleshock probably was a little bit uh, maligned when it came out in 10th edition as a irrelevant mechanic, which people only said that because it wasn't relevant. But now it is. Not only do Tyranids have more ways to apply Battleshock and the actual negatives that are a part of it, but they also have more ways to benefit from a Battleshock normal than unit you know, than normal. You know, normally a battle shock unit against like space marines is just 
OC0 not using its strats. If a whirlwind battle shocks you, you just take the battle shock effect that's in the codex or that's in their rulebook. And against Tyranids, if you're battle shocked, well, a Neuralictor is going to get near you and you're going to find that my entire army is plus one to wound you. And then you're going to find out that you're minus one to hit because you're battle shocked with a 12 of Neuralictor. So not only do Tyranids apply a lot of battle shock tests, but also it's a key part of how I do damage. My detachment has a stratum to cause mortals to a unit when it fails a battle shock test. Then my Neuralictors give me plus one to wound, which is crucial. My army is made out of strength 8, 10, 12. And some toughness characteristics like T10, 11 can prove kind of hard to kill until they're battle shocked, at which point they suddenly implode. You know, suddenly plus one to wound really changes how all of my weapons. Yeah, I can work. see that. I can see that. These Neuralictors, they're these 65 points, four involt, seven wounds, makes mm -hmm. 12 inches causes a battle shock, and then they their army plus one to wound. Exactly. My army causes more battle shocks than normal. That's because Neuralictors in my command phase uh, can pick an enemy unit within 12 inches to take a battle shock test. And it's a funny thing because everyone always asks, like, oh, it's in your command phase, not mine. I'm like, nope, it's in my, the tiered command phase. Which sounds like the wrong time. Which sounds like the wrong time because it doesn't affect my opponent's scoring basically at all. And that effect will revert uh, the start of their command phase. So it only lasts for my turn. But with a little bit of careful pre-measuring, something that I, uh, I like to use, you can place a Neuralictor to very easily cover an objective. Uh, the, the big objective math that we always use, right? It's a 40 millimeter base plus three inches in every direction which means that, that that circle has a diameter of a little bit over seven inches. It's like seven and a half. So if you put a Neuralictor about four and a half inches from, from the physical objective disc, it's wholly within 12 of every point that could score that objective. And so if someone wants to hold an objective, contest an objective, maybe I can have my lone operative behind a wall nearby. I found that on GW terrain, there's a lot of terrain near objectives and not a lot of terrain on objectives, which means that I can set up my Neuralictors to be a lone operative behind a wall, not holding the objective near it. And then if my opponent wants to hold it, I start making them take battle shock tests. Yeah, super exciting. And then they also just try to go contest your objective. There's like a 50-50 shot. It just doesn't even work. Yep. And you know what? You, you, you already touched on one of my favorite synergies. Death Leaper is an aura of minus one leadership. So what I love to do is put Death Leaper 40 millimeters deep onto an objective so that he's whole, anything on the, the disc is within six of him. And then the Neuralictor is about four inches behind Death Leaper. Anything on the disc is within 12 of multiple Neuralictors. And anyone who tries to contest Death Leaper is going to take multiple Battle Shock tests. And that is actually how I scored uh, quite a few primary points against one Richard Siegler's Leadership 7 Ghost deals. Wow. So yeah, we're going to get deep into the matchups and exactly how John soloed the entire team um, in detail in part two. But for this one, that's an awesome trick, John. Like, literally just parking two or three Neuralictors behind Death Leaper on an objective. You have to get within 12 inches to shoot Death Leaper off, and then even then, he's stealthy, four pinball, seven wounds, tough guy. It's a little awkward. It's a little awkward. And, like, God forbid there's multiple Neuralictors on the objective. That's you to shoot all of them. That's just not happening. Charging it not many armies even have the combat prowess to do this these days. A lot of armies are just shooting, but the armies that can, it's still an awkward defense point, right? Seven wounds with a four of invul. Dalton's five. And then if you just bring OC onto the objective, because that theoretically would be the weakness, all these guys are only OC one, you just take four battle shocks, take three battle shocks. It's, it's yeah. brutal. It's just a lot of rolling the dice. And I find that battle shock tests, singular, are not reliable. Battle shock tests, plural, are very reliable. 
Yeah. So in the way you weaponize that, how does that affect your plans with reliability? Because it is totally possible that like you line up two neuroelectors and your opponent just contests you and passes two tests. You know, like how do you deal with that fact when you deal with it? So for me, it's all about the pace of the game where I, I, I again, it's, it's, it's the trapdoor spider. I'm hiding in my like underground and I'm just waiting to come out. And I'm going to come out when the time is right. And the time is right when my opponent fails the battle shocks. If my opponent fails their battle shock test, well, it's the command phase. I haven't moved yet. I just won't come out. I'll just do the bare minimum to contest. I'll sacrifice a gargoyle unit. I'll move block them and just repeat status quo. And let's see if they can do it again, which is actually something that happened in one of my games. I had an opponent go like five for five on leadership eight battle shock tests. And I literally just passed a turn. <laughs> I was like, all right, that was, that was cool. It we're gonna, we're gonna. Fail. You, yeah. you earned yourself a gargoyle unit. We're gonna try again next turn. Just and next turn, off. they failed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then you, you can literally readjust because it's all command phase knowledge. And then you basically, you line it up so you score primary that turn because battle shocks. Then your opponent can't use defensive strats because they're battle shocked. And then you hit them very hard with plus one to wound because they're battle shocked. Because they're battle shocked. Once someone's battle shocked, I come out from from my little lair and eat them. <laughs> yeah, I can see that little little tear in a trap here. I, I love it. So you look light on stuff, but you, it really is kind of misleading because the neuroelectors play the mission for you. The gargoyles are obviously amazing objective contesters, boot blockers, pyrovores can do actions, and the rest of your army is pretty thick. Yeah, and I find that having a couple reserves helps me hide it because I don't want to just be getting shot while I wait. That is painful and bad. So having reserves, you know, some of the deep strikes, so the gargoyles don't count towards my 500 point limit. And then uh, I can actually fit a pretty respectable number of monsters plus zoanthropes. Uh, for example, six zoanthropes and two exocrines is 490 points, which is a perfect number as far as I'm concerned. And all these zoanthropes, exocrines, malceptors, they, you're happy with this ratio? You wouldn't want to change any of it? Yeah, I, I am. Uh, it, it very much comes down to I'm happy with the ratio because nothing else fits. If I could make it more malice efforts and exocrines, I'd love to. Is there a way to find 35 points in this list that I'm happy with? Nope. Yeah. So that's the ratio. That's the ratio. All right. So one more question before we move this discussion along to part two, where John's going to regale us with the deets on how he literally went 7-0 at the Crucible Major Tournament, beating myself, Quentin, Siegs, and Jack in historic fashion. John, how do you play secondaries with this army? <laughs> however i want nick i know so <laughs> we uh we still have the biofor we haven't actually mentioned him other than just like saying that he was in the list but tyranids passively score most secondaries well and they're one of the armies capable of fixing i actually find that i prefer tactical because in my mind the strength of the synaptic nexus is the stratagems it's the best part of it for me so i like having a couple extra cp to make sure that i'm keeping things functional um so if my opponent doesn't give up an easy fixed aka bring it down I usually will go tactical. That's because Tyranids have cheap units I'm willing to dispose of. So if I draw Area Denial, it's not like I'm sacrificing a crucial cog in the machinery. I'll throw a Pyrobore out. It'll be okay. I'll lose him. I'll move on. Um, and then I have plenty of primary control. I've got loan operatives. I've got fast-moving high OC units. Uh, I'm able to respond very quickly to different situations. Having a high movement characteristic on units, again, like Gargoyles or Reserves, is really important to playing it. And then finally, the Biovore. The Biovore creates a Spore Mine as kind of a, an action in 10th edition by placing it within 48 inches of itself, more than 9 from the opponent. Once that Spore Mine is placed, which just happens in the shooting phase, so it can actually be after I've shot your screens away. Once that Biovore is 
uh, places the spore mine. That spore mine is a legal unit. It is eligible to shoot or declare a charge as it wants, and it could use that eligibility to shoot to instead deploy a teleport homer if I was so inclined. And my favorite part is that because it's a shooting phase, not a movement phase, this is much better than deep strikes. Not only can it happen after I've shot your screens, it also is one of the crucial phases where my opponent cannot fire Overwatch. And so a spore mine that gets placed on his way is just there until the end of the turn. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get shot or killed. I think that's a whole other element to your list that we didn't even touch on, but such a great detail. You can't overwatch in your opponent's shooting phase, mm -hmm. or I guess. So when gargoyles use their fire and fade ability to move after they fire, you can use that to step right in front of an entire army and just not be overwatched. Same thing with the spore mine here. Yeah. So it makes your secondary and primary contest pretty much guaranteed and no counterplay. Uh, the counterplay is all movement. Yeah, the counterplay is never going to be just an overwatch and a dice spike. The counterplay to all of this is just my opponent has to get in the trenches with me, gravitate measure, and like that. that's it, right? It's, yeah. You pre-measure everything, I pre-measure everything, we play the game like that, and I love playing that kind of game. Yeah, you that plays love to my pre-measuring. I love my pre-measuring. <laughs> so that really plays to my strengths, I feel, and getting these little tricks that get around just, well, I decide to overwatch, and hey, look, 2d6 was 11 hits. So this list obviously requires an amazing general, and we're going to unpack how exactly how that works in part two for our patrons. But is this like a starter tier in army that someone can grow into, or is this like you need to read a book and become an expert to do this? I, I actually think that you could start with this list. I think that this list has a very solid foundation. Now, it's probably better to run this list in the uh, the invasion fleet if you're gonna if you're starting out. But I think that Tyranids, you can kind of switch between the fleets uh, as your comfort and your playstyle goes. The invasion fleet's a little bit thicker. It's a little more reactive. It's a little bit less uh, planning and proactive. But I, frankly, you could just play this as, yep, these are good monsters pushing up, playing primary, playing the scoreboard. It is a little bit, uh, it, it's not easy to play. I, I don't want to claim that it's, you know, it's uh, it's rocket science. No, it doesn't It doesn't look simple. Just mm -hmm. talking about the neurologies and definitely, but those are challenging yeah. things to set up properly. Yeah, there's a lot of steps to it. So I, I think, though, that you could still get a very beginner-friendly tiered list very similar to this. I would literally, I think, just change this to Invasion Fleet and just have that reactive 5 of Femo Pain instead of having as much setup and then just learn the tools as you play and instead of trying to change the list, try to grow into the list. Nice. I really like that. So we, I think we asked you this last time. I'm curious if you have a different answer for us or if you remember last time's answer. If you had some advice to some aspiring Warhammer players trying to get better, what would it be? <clears throat> well, you know, I, I mean, it, it almost feels obvious to say that they should sign up for the Warren. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't actually going for the spiel, but I do appreciate it. You should sign up for the Warren. <laughs> there you go. Give me a raise, boss. <laughs> but uh, I think that the, the most important part of learning to be better at Warhammer, especially if you're new, is learning how to self-reflect. And it's be willing to think about your losses and be a little bit more open-minded about it. Uh, because it's very easy to, after a game, think, I lost because Eldar's broken. That's true, that's not your fault. Or I lost because the dice were bad. Maybe there was something you could do about it. So I think self-reflection and uh, being willing to ask other people as well is a big part of it. I actually... I found out that I'm very terrible at self-analysis, and almost all of my self-analysis is me parroting people who I respect, who I ask to talk about me, because I don't, I don't know what to say. Like I didn't even know what my playstyle was for like eight years, and then I asked five friends independently, and they all gave the same answer. And I thought about it, I was like, you know, I do do all of those things, but I didn't even know that's what I was doing. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, join us in part two for AOW40K.com. That's where you can sign up, get access along with our Discord server. We're going to break down in detail how John brought us all down with this amazing tier list. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. Thank you.